black male teachers in schools? The fact is, only 2% of teachers are black men, yet research confirms that they really do matter. Kenneth Franklin, who is our guest today, is a public school teacher right here in Indianapolis, Indiana. He knows firsthand the impact that regular exposure to a positive black man can have on impressionable students, especially black young men. Stay tuned and listen right here on What's Up Award as Kenneth Franklin tells what's it like to be a black teacher in Indianapolis. You're now listening to What's Up With Ward. For those of you who may not know, this is a podcast that focuses on love, life, relationships, and everything in between. Everyone has a story to tell. We just want to know what's yours. And to our regular listeners out there like Brandon Bond, salute. Salute. My name is Wardy Ward, and a distinguished gentleman to my left of me is none other than Trey Aldi on the building. What's good, bro, bro? What's going on, Wardy Ward? Hey, man, you know, just another day, another 15 cents. I'm looking forward to finding a fountain of youth so I can turn back the hands of time and join the NBA and get my scratch up. So, uh, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, man, uh, I want to say this. Uh, I had a few jobs in my life, but some of the most uh, meaningful times were as a teacher within the school system of Indianapolis. And I had some great days and some near fights with aggressive students, but I loved every day of it. And with that being said, we have a guest today who's been fighting a good fight and changing lives of young people for years now. What's up with Ward listeners? We'd like to introduce you to Mr. Kenneth Franklin. Welcome to the show, brother. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going? How's it going? All right. I'm glad to be on. Glad to be on. Yeah, we, we're glad to have you, too. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started. Like, where'd you grow up, your family, friends, or, or your hobbies you have? Well, um, I grew up on the east side of town, 42nd Post. Um, went to Lawrence School System, Lawrence Central High School, graduate 97. Uh, went on to Ball State University, enjoyed my time there. Uh, industry and technology, business management minor. Um, I am currently teaching at Pike High School at the Pike Career and STEM Center. I have three wonderful children, and um, I am the husband to a beautiful Dr. Franklin. Okay, so your wife's a doctor? Hey. Okay. Yes doing it like that okay that explains everything right there <laughs> all right that's that's cool man uh now when you was at a uh, uh ball state did you pledge i did okay i did i remember five better sigma you know okay all right yeah that's good to know go ahead trey we'll let can you start you off with step? the questions <laughs> oh man i got i got all of it after <laughs> after a nice after a nice stretch yeah yeah so 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 let me ask you this before since we own that what made you decide to pledge that way was it even close anywhere else or was that just that was the one uh it was definitely the one um and and as many folks know you know the the makeup of the folks that you encounter at at each individual location can make a difference but uh uh the brothers there on the yard were were very much of like mind uh-huh. believed in, in the same things i believed in and um, you know we 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 were about uplifting uh, black people and okay. minorities. So yeah. it, it was an easy decision, um, and, it, and it, it was at a time when when it really meant a lot for brothers to work together and, and help each other. Mm-hmm. And um, so we we were able to do a lot for the for the Ball State community, for the Ball State campus, and we, we functioned uh, like professionals. So that was a pretty cool thing too. Yeah, well, and we had a good time. I'm not going to deny that, but you know we really we really did a lot. Why'd you choose Ball State? Um, it was just far enough away and just close to home. Um, I also had opportunities to go a little further away. Johnson C. Smith, Black College, a little further away. I had uh-huh. opportunity to go to uh, some other places, Indiana State, uh, Purdue. Uh, there's a couple places in Chicago, but um, uh, landed on it. it. It was a good opportunity. I uh, College athletes, I was there on a scholarship as well. And uh, the coaching staff there really, really welcomed me in, and and that became uh, a good fit. So okay, yeah, okay. that was basketball scholarship, football, what? Track and field, track and field. Okay, okay, okay. All right. What was your event? High hurdles. I ran the hurdles, and then I, I also ran short sprints. So I was on the four by one, and uh, four by two, and some things like that. So you got a full ride. 
75%. I, I left there with an $8,000 loan. Man, that, that's nothing. Wow. Paid it, off, paid it off immediately. Man, you can't beat that. Yeah, so, let me, nice. since we own this, I want to ask this question too. Hold on, before you go ahead, Trey. Do you think college athletes should get paid, Kenny? Um, I, I think it's one of those things. It's a very touchy, touchy, touchy uh, thing to deal with. Um, I, I will say like this. I don't think that a school system should totally benefit from uh, the marketing and the talents of an athlete. That athlete should receive something in some way, shape, or form. And on top of that, it should not simply be uh, their their pay for school. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Because there's there's a lot more involved into it. There's a lot more benefit to that school system than than that. and and for that matter, I, I okay okay fine. If if we can and, and the data is there, if we can determine how much a single athlete generates, mm-hmm. then a percentage of that should go toward what that that athlete brings to that program. And I, I don't mm-hmm. care if it's it's money set. I don't care if it's money set aside. That that athlete doesn't have to have it immediately. Right. Put it aside mm-hmm. when they graduate. It's theirs. They don't graduate. Maybe maybe it's a different circumstance. But mm-hmm. who yeah. knows? Yeah. Yeah. A nice deferral will be that student that I, that and I'm gonna apologize I'm, I'm trying to turn my volume up oh, oh you sound I, great I, you sound good yeah but I, I can't hardly hear you guys that's the other thing oh okay yeah okay all right, all right. so uh, go ahead with your uh, question Trey I, I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off man I just he, he said that I just kind of went down that direction but go ahead brother it's good that's how we flow so so Kenny here here's a quick question for you with based off what you're seeing that that's what you've noticed since you've been you no know, no in on the front line in the, in the trenches teaching students are the skills that you taught in right now really to technology jobs in your opinion or is it driving hey we got to get test scores up and and show that we can get a five-star rating do you think that's the, is that the driver that more schools are looking at right now well i, I think um it's not just a school system because uh, many of these these uh, directions are, are uh, federally funded and, and uh, the standards that school systems function with under are also driven by, you know, federal government and local and state government. So with that, it's it's mm-hmm. one of those things. And I, I'm seeing a trend where um, school systems are now being challenged to provide more of what's in their niche area. So if you mm-hmm. are a major um, healthcare, nursing, what have you, then the schools are providing those those opportunities. The the uh, state colleges are providing those opportunities. And it's changing a bit. So, um, mm-hmm. yes, in, in order to, 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 to have a good representation, in order to have good funding, Schools are still working to have to meet those those data marks in terms of being an A school, but uh, there's a there's a balance now where they're also trying to make sure uh, they cater to what's uh, the niche in the area. Uh, so we're, we're that that transition is still happening. We're very much uh, on the beginning of it, but I think we'll see that play more and more. And then we're talking about we're talking about federal dollars and how uh, the government is, is allocating funds uh, for your various STEM STEM programs. Okay. Okay. So, so, you're you're a you went to school for education, and then you got into STEM. Is that how that works? I'm sorry. Say again. So you went to school for education, and, and yes, and now you're teaching part of the STEM program. Yes. Okay. So what what drew you to this particular uh, uh, field? I, I had always considered teaching. I initially did go into to to business. Uh, and then went over to support tech, educational technology uh, from a service standpoint. And then um, a long time ago before that, I said, okay, I, I'd love to teach, but I'm not teaching math, English, science, or social studies. It has to be technology. Yes. And so with that, the opportunity opportunity presented itself, and I, I really strongly looked into it, considered it, and uh, it was just something I stepped into. I, I It was there. I was like, you know what? This is what I want to do. It also aligned with my desire to coach. And so I, I, I've been a coach for almost 20 years now. 
and uh, teaching uh, close to the same. So uh, it all worked. It worked out. It it really just worked out. I'm I'm passionate about both and able to do uh, both of those areas. Nice. I know that uh, I I was a teacher. Well, actually, I did a sub teaching when I after I got my degree. I was Mm -hmm. sure if I wanted to go into education, I kind of switched it over to business management. Mm-hmm. But I did I did get on a cadre team where they sent me to five different schools. Every day I would go to the same school of that. Like Monday, I'm always at this school. Tuesday, I'm always at that school. Mm-hmm. And I found teaching to be uh, a challenge some days uh, because of the youth. I know you said uh, you graduated. Did you say you graduated in 97? Yes. Yeah, that doesn't seem that long ago, does it? <laughs> but, uh, it, it? It doesn't. No, yeah. it doesn't. But yeah. But it's yeah, you feel it. But it just—it seems like the students have changed a lot. So, what, what challenges do you face as an educator? Uh, as an educator, you know the battle is um, the expectation is is almost that of a parent, mm-hmm. but at the same time, uh, the challenges that we face typically um, show signs of coming from home. It's like, what is home life for that particular child? What expectations are are at, you know, are are being expected at home, and how does that that child represent their family when they come to school, or anywhere else for that matter? So that that's one of the biggest things I see is is what is home life like, and how is that child? What does that child bring to school with them? Whether it's 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 core values and structure, or if it's it's baggage that means they've got to off, offset that somewhere else. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. So, do how did you guys kind of navigate the educational system during the uh, the shutdown, and and how is it going now? Uh, it's it's going it's going well. Um, uh, I think in in certain certain homes, again, it, it kind of speaks to the same thing. And uh, teaching at the high school level, it's one of those scenarios where if if my if that child's parent isn't there are the expectations that have been instilled in that child from from a parent perspective is that going to carry that situation so that child can still be productive and, and it just it just varies it, it really varies and so um and, and many instances you know it goes well and it has gone well for folks when we were doing the the e-learning and, and other situations um uh we had parent we had families that the, the child had to be the parent while while the parents were at were at work because right. all of the siblings were home, mm-hmm. we had other situations where you know I'm 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 teaching and the child says I had to leave my mom needs me to do something I'm like, wow. Well, we're, you're in school technically, so you really can't just step away and do something. <laughs> so it, it's it's just you know, what are those expectations, uh, and how are those carrying over, and everything that 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 goes on when we're in those this, this pandemic situation. Right, and what and what can what can families do? I know I know it was it was tough for everyone, not to deny that. Yeah. But that, how does that work out? You know, yeah, mm-hmm. it's definitely that. Are are you guys wearing the mask? Force are forcing kids yes. to get the shot in the mask? Yes, and- everyone everyone's wearing a mask, regardless of, of whatever status. Everyone's wearing a mask. And what about Every- the shot? Is that a requirement now for schools or? Uh no, not at this time. No. Okay, okay. Go ahead, you know, Trey. Can- we're still out of the whole the, the post. I'm not going to even say post pandemic because we're still in the throes of it. But you know, those, some some districts are, are are handling it better than others. You know, locally, I've seen you know personally for my kids, they've had you know institution of the e-learning days that were happening like mm-hmm. almost two to three times a week. Where now they're skipped back to to maybe once if all. Um, at the very beginning, we've heard of our largest school system here, you know, in the metro area. Where they were having issues where their kids didn't have access to to digital equipment, and so teachers are making packets and they're they're partnering with the local uh, you know media to have time you know on districts. They've got laptops and virtual classrooms. They're up and running. Um, as as an educator, what what do you think could be done to to level the playing field to ensure that individuals have access to resources and materials so that hey, you know what? Regardless of location or social economic background, they have access to the information to be successful as an educator. What, what can we do? Well, um, I, I, I would have to tackle this from from the beginning of, of, of 
the pandemic and, and it's the nature of what was the state of that particular you know institution at that, that school because it, it's no different than than how we look at home if, if i have uh, you know a, a toilet that's out well that's going to take precedence over you know something else in the home and, and if a school system has a major maybe hvac or some other major thing going on and, and, it, and it's on the capital budget then that's what they're knee, knee deep yeah. in and, and the question becomes how well did you prepare for the unforeseen and i, I can't imagine looking at and knowing how federal funds work that's it's hardly possible um, yeah. So in order to address this, it becomes it, it has to get kicked up a notch to local and federal government. Say, how, how are we going to handle, you know, emergencies? Because because it was an emergency. Uh, and we have to just just like everyone else has to lean to the government. The educational institutions have to lean to the government. And so the question becomes, and I don't know if we can go down this road, but what happens as as the push for private education becomes a, a real thing? I, I think there are some some hardships that can come about but uh, i know we're not we're not in that but i think that that's the next question so well schools some schools aren't aren't even funded by the government so so what do they do but i i think the concern happens to be what we we have not had uh, an emergency like that um where or, or we've had emergencies, but it, the the, con- the consideration wasn't how you're going to do e-learning it was how are you going to live Whereas now yes, we sir. have the opportunity to be in a situation where we can do e-learning. How are we going to make that work? We're in the midst of a, a pandemic. How are we going to make e-learning work? And I think it's a matter of now, now the government knows now that the institutions know how are we going to take care of it moving forward. Right. That, notwithstanding, we, we still know that the state has you know, their guidelines to ensure the individual, hey, do you qualify as a as a graduate or not? You know, and certify with the, with the state board of Right. Do you think it could be more done from from the state level to to ensure that there's there's equity, or because of course that's that third part of the process. You know, local, federal, and state get all has their, their their part in the process. Um the the equity uh, does become an issue, um, and and again we're talking about those those uh, demographic rates and how funds are being allocated. Um, and, and yes, like that, that is very much an apparent aspect of it to address. And, and then even that becomes, okay, how much, what is the, the demographic makeup? Uh, how are funds allocated based on that? And then what happens with that money once it's put into place? What, what is that district's priority if the uh, terms of use is pretty wide open? And I think uh, in some areas, there's a lot of room to say, okay, here's the money. Uh, here are the parameters to which you can do with it. But that school system may say, you know what, this is our bigger issue. We need to have people to help with instruction, to help and support instruction over technology. You know, it's just a matter of what, what, what are you going to tackle? And we can't afford, we can't afford to spend X, Y, Z. We can only spend for to spend this X and the rest of the portion is going to have to go toward, we need a, we need a person. And I think with yeah. so many teachers leaving education, that I think that's a real issue as well. The Why only you... thing I would add to that, well, look, what is this, just real quick. Yes. At the end of the day, the state's still going to come back and say, hey, if they don't meet the guidelines, if a school system does not meet the guidelines, they will come back and say to the, the school board, you're now under academic emergency. And if, if we have to, then we'll come in and do what we have to do to make things right. So, you know, that's that it kind of feels like that's a kind of looming over over, you know, the tradition set to hey, how do we ensure people if they don't think we're doing things the right way, they're gonna come in with their mandates and, and, and do what they feel is right, which may not be in the best interest of a local uh, local school system. Yeah, I agree and that, and that's definitely a, a consideration as to next steps that the the, the local and, and federal government can move toward, but um uh, with, with there being a pandemic, everyone's getting waivers and consideration. E- everyone is. True. That. Uh, very, very no true. one's being held to what they really can't do right now. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, this is Ward again. I, sure. I really don't understand how the school uh, financially is funded. How does this work? The, the taxpayers pay the salaries, or how, how does that whole dynamic work? 
Um, well, I, I, please, you're not going to be able to quote me on that. I, I just know fund, funds are allocated through local and federal government and then also through taxpayers. Um, I, I, I would not be one to sit down and, and break down um, how the general fund is, is derived. Yeah. Um, I know that information is also out there. I, I, I do hear uh, referendums and things are, are, have been used to um, pay for capital capital funds, pay for um, teacher funds. So that money can come from taxpayer uh, taxpayers. I do. Uh, and I know that there are funds that are allocated from the federal government based on the economic makeup of okay. a particular uh, school system. So um, how that drills down, you know, we'd have to be the, the, the CFO for a school district to know exactly how we're part of those networks that, that get into that. Okay. Okay. Hey, you know, when it comes back to, you know, your day-to-day, with, you know, I, I've seen some instances where heard discussions on how industrial technology can, you know, have an impact on, uh, you know, uh, footprint when it comes to, you know, how much energy is used to produce a certain product or, or to maintain a certain system, things of that nature. Have you seen any interest? Uh, green initiatives when it comes to industrial technology advancing things. Um, industrial technology in the school systems, um, and and uh, green green functioning more clean clean green energy and like that. I think, um, well, industrial technology has has been one of those programs that's been phased out, phased out in general. Um, some school systems have um, pieces and portions of what used to make up uh, your career center uh, in terms of those trades programs. Uh, a lot of the technical programs have taken over. Uh, you still have like HVAC going on. And, and, I, and I actually met with the, our, our HVAC constructor just recently, and, and he did speak of uh, efficient systems that, that are being talked about and utilizing HVAC. Um, Aside from that, again, the, the trades, the trades, the building trades and the industrial trades, those programs are, are honestly gone from education. Wow. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah that is crazy. So because I know I think they used to have I don't know if they still do it, but they used to have uh, the cosmetology uh, courses in schools, too, down in the, Indiana. Those are still going on. And oh. and uh, my understanding is that there is. Uh, potential that they can disappear. Oh man, what, what are they kind of replacing with? Um, well, uh, if and if you look at it, and we can we can talk about I guess uh, Indianapolis, the Indianapolis makeup. Indianapolis is, is growing to be a, a major hub for uh, I say, hmm. um, and the medical industry and all the the different nurse techs and and areas like that. And then we have. Um, a bit of a technology buzz that's happening in, in Indianapolis. Um, short of that, uh, there's a lot of um, uh, general contractors and things of that nature, but any any career path that does not have a direct correlation to uh, college and has a network where you can get um, private training uh, may not be a program that will continually be funded, I imagine. And, I, and I'm seeing and hearing kind of signs of that. Okay. Wow. You, so with individuals getting more involved with technology and, you know, the things that come from that and less individuals getting into the trades, what is going to be happening with, when there's a, a true gap where you have individuals who have the skills but then there's no one to replace them as they leave and retire or, or move on from other things. There's going to be a definite skill gap, even when, when it comes to just the base we have. I mean, we and the the shipment of goods and materials. So that's no one goes to high school nowadays. Say, I think I'm going to be a professional truck driver or things of that nature, because that's not on the, the minds of individuals. As you're saying, you're seeing hearing things more on the lines of the technology and the coding and the advancement and things that mean, you know, if there's going to be an opportunity for individuals to uh, to take that type of course and get education from it, do you think there's going to be at some point 
a, a situation where we're going to say, hey, we really need to find the next uh, trade or the next technology program that's going to be able to support these systems in the future? Yep. Yep. Yes. It, it definitely. And, it, and it, it, it's going to, I think it's going to come down being a, you know, a tech guy. It's going to come down to whether or not can technology solve this problem? Because that, that's our first look. Mm-hmm. And if technology can't solve this problem, now we're talking about a reindustrialization. If you think think back, the history lesson for us was the industrialization meant that that many of our people had um, were, were, were taught trades and were able to mm-hmm. be self-sustaining. And eventually those those programs were pulled out of, out of school. Um, and that kind of spearheaded um, the the time between what the the late 60s or mid 60s all the way to the 80s when there was a, just a lot of crazy things going on but a lot of good things but still some crazy things going on but uh, mm-hmm. to speak to speak more into to now um, I think what we'll find is um, to put this tactfully a, a, another way to revitalize what would be the working class mm-hmm yeah. Um, my my question is, you had mentioned earlier that uh, there are you know some teachers who decided that maybe the uh, education field may not be for them, uh, maybe through safety issues, maybe burnout, uh, or a variety of other reasons. What's your perspective on why you think uh, teachers are, are I guess losing this zeal for the education field? Well, I, I think it's one of those things where. Um... And, and even in my experience, it's it's you set out to teach to, to really help young people and um, make a difference in their lives from an educational standpoint. And as you find more and more things that get in the way of that, I, I think there are teachers out there that, that, that say that, you know what, I'm not helping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there are too many things in my way to to help. Yeah. I, I, I can see that too. I, I know when I was a teacher, um, I can't, well, I was a sub. I still consider myself a teacher, but <laughs> it seems like I, I didn't really feel like I got the support I needed when things kind of, you know, went a certain way. So I, I, I can see why people put, probably want to do something else and that, that could cause a deficit in that area. But mm-hmm. how do you feel about school safety? Do you feel it's safe where you're at or do you worry about the stuff we see on TV all the time or is that just just pockets in the, in the U.S. that we uh, you know, I can't say it's pockets of the U.S. I, I'd have to say it's it, it could be anywhere now um, and I think we are becoming very desensitized to things that didn't used to be norms um, so do I feel safe? I think with the desensitization there is a reality that I believe I, I can't feel safe Okay. Yeah. Um, I have an example of that. I was I was at a soccer game uh, just just a few weekends ago, and in in a distance, and I, I don't know how far, but it it was had to be a good ways away. Several gunshots rang out. Whoa. You know, no one no one missed a beat. No one stopped. Game didn't stop. Everything continued. Whoa. But it was. I mean, I, and it was definitely far away. But it's like. That is not, and didn't used to be a norm, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At, le- at least in in you know where 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 I'm used to living and whatnot, and it was a rare rare occasion where you heard guns. Things happen. Don't get me wrong, but um, and just the number of people who who were there, and the comfort level with what just took place was like, wow, we are really things are changing Damn. a lot. Yeah. yeah. Also, I think student face uh problems that I don't know if we had necessarily when, when I was going True. through school, but the mental health challenge, it just seems to be, right. uh, it's very, I don't know, I guess it's, I don't know, what, what, what parameters do you guys have in place now to, to deal with the uh, mental health challenges? Are the teachers being equipped with different things or? We, we, the teachers are trained. We, we go through training every year to help with mental health, how to, how to speak with students and how to point them in the right direction with school counselors and school social workers. Uh, being able to identify uh, different things you see in students uh, that may, may be uh, happening at home or outside of school. And uh, really, it, it comes down to just being 
being patient and, yes. and taking the time to, to, to say, okay, I see something going on. Uh, this student isn't functioning how they normally would. Uh, don't immediately go to a, don't turn to discipline to address what you see as odd, uh, you know, pull the student aside, uh, give them a minute to, to kind of just uh, get, get, get themselves together and try to address it uh, without an audience. That, that thing, that's one of the key things is, is particularly for, for young folks uh, that deal with a lot of struggles is not to give an audience to a situation when they're trying to deal with something, pull them aside, be patient with them, talk to them. And, and if they need some additional assistance, additional help, you know, send them to their counselor, send them to the social worker, um, and, or put it on someone's radar that, that you've noticed something that, and this student may need some help. So, but there, there are definitely uh, means and opportunities out there uh, for teachers to, to, to help students and for them to direct students to help. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Do, is it, uh, I don't, I don't know if this is still happening now, but is there, is, is bullying a still thing that's going on in school or, or is this? Um, I, 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 I definitely with, with, with the culture that we have, there's, there's definitely bullying. Um, and in in my experience, it's it's isolated situations. It's mm-hmm. it's um, more or less um, some of it's instantaneous. Somebody bumps into someone, and it, it becomes a an ongoing thing. When it when it was a small thing, an initial interaction. Yes. Um, it. And it's a strange thing to me. It really is. And it, I think there's other things that speak to it. And I, I kind of go back to home life where, you know, I was raised with my brothers. And, and yes, we picked on each other and we build up a sensitivity to, to or, or not so much sensitivity to certain things. So um, we, we learn not to let so many things get to us. And we also right. respected other people. So mm-hmm. I think I think there's a, a lap, lax in both of those areas where, um, there's some young people who don't have respect for a whole lot, uh, mm-hmm. and I think as even as adults we see that when we when we you know pass them in the store in the mall or or what have yep. you, mm-hmm. you, you don't see that respect for your surroundings or for people or for even you know what what we call home or our community. So right, I, th- I think that that's one thing that I didn't like when I was an educator. It's uh, I had students challenge me daily mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, you would see people on t- uh, TV sometime where a bus driver punches a person or a mm-hmm. teacher. To, I, I'm not, I'm not condoning that in any way, but I did say I can see how those situations could escalate. Yeah. And, oh yeah. So I think it's the environment. So what's what's a teacher's expectation if, if there is a, a altercation on the premises? What, what what are you guys expected to do? Uh, do our best to de-escalate and, and definitely mm-hmm. uh, get help on the scene for that situation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead, Trey. You know, I was thinking with you both being educators and being in that, in that situation, you know, if you were to put a pie chart to the amount of time you actually spent teaching, you know, what percentage would that be? Because it sounds like there's a lot of, you know, coaching and mentoring that, that grant to the finding out of the person's education. But how much time do you think is actually spent towards the actual syllabus and curriculum based off everything that's going on right now? Um, wow. That's a, that's a, it's a great question. Um, and as a whole, I would, man, excuse me. Um, and again, every year is different too, because last year I'd say, wow, man, it's close to 50%. Uh, this year is a different year. This year is a different year, particularly for me, uh, from uh, from as, a, as speaking to speaking in the sense of talking with other educators. I'd still mm-hmm. say hit and miss across a, an entire school system. It could be still fifty percent. Mm-hmm. But where where I have a where I have, where I have a, a, a better uh, situation where I'm I'm close to you know seventy five percent instruction. The other support other side of support. Another teacher picks up where because they have a different dynamic, and again, it's it's what load of students are coming in, you know, what did they encounter as a particular grade level group, and what's that makeup as they roll into different courses. So um, it, it 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 varies, and then you or you have a year, and 
the involvement makes a difference too. You have a year where the, a lot of the students are athletes and, and believe it or not, athletes seem to, as a majority, have a different outlook on things and will be your better students. Hmm. So it, well, it varies. Well, athletes do get uh, sometimes, well, I guess you couldn't answer that. I won't put you on the spot, but sometimes I was thinking athletes get different treatment because, well, you know what? We ain't even going to go there. I didn't go there. <laughs> let, <laughs> let, let, let me ask this. Let me ask this. It seems like uh, that uh, youth, the youth are dealing with things also that they may have not dealt with years ago, such as you may have to get the younger sibling dressed and ready for school and try to get breakfast right. and right. then come to school. So they really may not have a lot of time to spend that on uh uh, you know, homework and different things. So do you think right. students should have to do homework after being in school all day? Um, yes. But I think as a teacher and as an institution, we have to be mindful of whatever the common thread is across our community and, and the makeup and mm. therefore try to balance that. Um, right. I personally, for my class, uh, my goal is to not send homework home. My goal is to, to make sure that the students can do their work in class. Now, you're not going to get away from it because you have students that are absent, students that have uh, situations that pull them out of school for a length of time. And, you know, in those situations, they, they're they going to have to spend time at home doing work in order to, in some cases, make up or even to, to pick up where they, where they're, where they are. I guess I, I've always struggled with that because I'm thinking if I go to, to my job and I work eight hours and do my work, I don't want to come home and work another four to five hours again. Sure. So, so it seems like it's almost unfair to the student because, I mean, I don't know how much instruction time you get, but how is it working? Are, are the students coming back prepared or, or you spend a lot of time uh, repeating what you've already said? Um. Well, a lot of course content is is really repetitive. You're, you're going to be repeating it anyway, mm-hmm. um, I, and, and, and it's, it's. I hate to say this, but it, again, it speaks to home life. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Since studying is a norm for all students across, I think the country. Um, if a student can't go home and study then how are they making up what they're missing and and are they even encouraged to do so is it an expectation that you know mom and dad are asking hey where's your homework let me see your homework yeah mm-hmm. let me see every piece of homework mm-hmm. how was your mm-hmm. test let me see your test or is that conversation how'd you do in school today good job okay yes no Right. And there's no detail. So it, it's it's one of those things that I think. And, and again, we are we are all meant to be challenged. Our, you know, our bodies are muscles, our minds are muscles. So what, what we can also say is in, in ideal circumstances, if challenged over a student's academic lifetime, that that study should get easier. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it shouldn't requires so much and, and it can for, for particular content and for particular instances but how they study you you will get better at studying mm-hmm. and you study will have to you will study different I mean I, I have students that says I read that one time and, it, and I was done that was it I didn't have to study it I, I read it and understood it I got an A on the test mm-hmm. and you look at those students and you look at how they function and you ask them questions and this student's a reader they read for 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 desire and interest, not for not for what they see as a burden. Um, they commit to balancing their time because that is the structure that they're given, and the, and they they know how to adapt and use that. See what ultimately makes up, I, I guess, an ideal student. And so, when you're challenged with students for students that, hey, do you study at home? No. Do you read books at home? No. Uh, how much time are you using for one subject area over another home? None. What do you do when you go home? Take a nap. <laughs> or play video games. Or play video games. Okay. Okay. Well, 
those students struggle and continue to struggle. Yeah, I definitely can understand that. Uh, I want to talk about the elephant in the room. Um, sure. Uh, it seems like black and Latino boys have been misunderstood in American schools. Uh, black and Latinos have a higher dropout rate, the poverty rate, incarceration rates are higher than their peers. So it seems like there's a caveat there that's not being addressed. Sure. Is that something that's being discussed in schools? And if so, what's what's the plan for that? Uh, it is it is a conversation. It is um, an expectation to to be addressed. There are there are roles being created uh, to support it, um, but the challenge becomes how is that family sustaining itself? Mm-hmm. And does that child become a part of what allows that family to exist? So if, if mom and dad are working multiple jobs, that child becomes a third parent. Yes, and sir. the sacrifices that have to be made reflect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in any of those situations or or if addiction is involved or if abuse is involved, you know, those are realities of the challenges that are still out there. So um, from an educational standpoint, from an educational institution standpoint, um, the resources um, are being made, opportunities are being made available. Um, But I will say it is a challenge to to continue to bang on that door and say, hey, um, we can help you, the child, but what about the parents because the parents are the ones that need the support so that the child environment can change right yeah so that being said let me ask you the the question again this is Trey just when it comes time for you and the parents to be in with the the old school parent teacher conferences by way of in person uh, or you know, virtually, however it's set up, and that level of engagement, are you seeing it actually happening? And in those instances where a child needs that intervention from the parent, and the and, and, is there a true game plan that that's in it? Just more of, hey, here's what your son is doing, or here's what your daughter's doing, and there's like, okay, well, yeah, there's nothing else I can do on this year. You know, what, what are you seeing from, from parents in general? Uh, I, I know, I know a lot of this is going to sound redundant, but, um, those households where the, the structure is there, uh, the history is there where the you know, two college educated families or, or definitely a family that's come up the ranks and they've, they've kind of built their own, uh, you see them committed to their child's education and have the ability to commit to their child's education. And so therefore those folks are showing up. Those folks are easy to reach. Those folks are, are asking questions and their child is responding their child is making changes i'm not saying each one of those child is you know straight a students but you can see you can see the ethic work ethic you can see the effort mm-hmm. um and and you know that that's that's the, the the big portion of what goes on where you don't have the support you don't see the child making changes that's true or even able or even able to make the changes yeah well, with- this then let's say that you a, a a parent who is not too far older than himself. <laughs> have you noticed it happens we, we all know we've seen it you know when i've had classmates that, that have you know kids you know and their kid is sitting in, in at the ground with them you know that type of thing you're probably even a percentage have you know no way where a parent with a child that's in class is, is struggling to make that correlation to to encourage them to do more just I don't say age based but have you noticed any difference in that demographic uh, I have I, and I'd say it's 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 an um, interesting scenario where uh, you do see when, when that age is fairly close where they are making an effort to, to be knowledgeable of what's going on with their child um it, it there there may be uh fewer instances but you'll, you'll you'll see them they'll they'll reach out 
they'll communicate. Uh, you you kind of don't see in some cases where they are uh, connecting with their child on, on a regular basis on homework or assignments and things, but you do see them reaching out. Uh, unfortunately, in some cases, it's, it's at the end of a marking period when things have already been finalized. It's at the beginning when things are just going. Uh, it's, it's, it's cause and effect kind of thing where it's, okay, student got in trouble, now let's fix everything kind of thing. Um, and other, and other scenarios, it's unfortunately where it's more of a, I'm your parent, but I'm also your friend kind of thing. So it's like, yeah, you can't be a friend to your child in a sense. Um, cause those expectations have to be met from, as a, from a parent perspective. Yeah. Um, I think far as like the social determinants of health, uh, I, I did a lot of that with my, uh, uh, training too. And I know you can pretty much put them in five domains such as economic stability, mm-hmm. you know, the educational mm-hmm. access, healthcare access. Right. Um, it's almost like a teacher. You, you have to be more than a teacher. It's almost like you're a, a doctor or a psychologist, an educator or a police yep. officer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The, yep. the more, the more weight they're putting on these teachers, are, are they uh, giving you guys uh, extra training to deal with these areas? Um, compensation. <laughs> there, 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 there are additional trainings being put in place, but also um, uh, directives to use the resources that are there. You know, th- there are also folks that uh, we connect with, uh, whether it's the local um, medical groups or, or our, so- our social um, services folks and even our counselors uh, a lot some of the expectation is to definitely connect and allow these folks to step in and be a part of that so that we can focus on on education but uh, part of that is those students have connected with us we've got to know that student and so it's going to take another you know lengthy process to get that student to open up and in some situations to say hey I will let this person in, even though they're new to what's going on. So it, the opportunities are there. Teachers are being, but we're definitely looking to to uh, utilize the support systems that are in place. Yes. Do you find that there are, there are a lot of uh, African American male teachers in the school system? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's how I was when I did it years ago, and I don't know why. Can I ask a? What what are the young people? What are they? What are they interested in doing after high school? It's not that they're everybody the same, but it's just like a general kind of thing. Like, hey, I want to, you know. Uh, I think it it just depends on what what's being what examples are being placed in front of them, what what they're what questions they're being asked, you know, what opportunities they be they're being presented with. You know, are you joining a, a, a Jack and Jill program or an engineering program or you're in Boy Scouts or you're are you in sports? Are you being presented with opportunities that are going to challenge you to say, what do I want to do? Right. And do you have enough opportunities to say I can make an educated decision or make some considerations to what opportunities I know are out there? Mm-hmm. But we have a lot of a lot of situations where these young people aren't being presented with things or they are, but they're not pursuing, they're not being encouraged to pursue them or, or they're tied up at home as a, as a third parent. Yes. Yes. I, I do see the, uh, what you're saying that it does make sense. I didn't consider them being a third parent, but now I, I was like, yeah, th- th- that is very accurate. So I'm wondering now the school systems, uh, they have, you know, certain reputation and expectations. I know out in, uh, I think my kids went to Franklin. I think yours do too, correct, Trey? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think there's a major difference between Franklin Central and and your particular school, Kenneth? Oh yeah, well, yeah. Every every school has a different, you know, demographic makeup. It's, you know, the environment. Um, so definitely, I mean, you can't get around that. You can't get even around that in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, what, what, what are you encouraging uh, your kids to, to do for their future? What, being educated yourself, what, what what discussions are you guys having? Well, for one, I tell my children they can do anything they want to do, any and everything, and we we pursue um, any and everything that we can. Uh, my my oldest son is in MePi. It's an engineering program uh, for young young students. Uh, I think it starts at fifth grade and up, all through high school. Uh, my daughter is joining that now. 
my 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 uh, we do the reading program that's offered through um, public libraries every year. We've done it faithfully. Every year we've done it faithfully. My wife, my wife is a big spearhead for that. She's a, an avid reader. I, I read for work, and that's kind of pleasure for me. She reads for pleasure. Um, and then, uh, like I said, we we they love sports. We do sports. So uh, keeping our children involved. Uh, we also involve them in just the makeup of what we do as a household in terms of paying bills and buying cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, those things are important. You know, I, I, I've I've given my my children our grocery list and said, all right, you guys are in charge. I'll be there. Go do it <laughs> and do the math and do the math. And yeah. so I think those things are important. You know, growing up, my mom instilled in those things. Single parent. We had to know what it meant to save money to buy groceries what it meant to take care of our home so and a lot of those things are changing and have changed yeah you're right I do I do like that teaching uh, teaching the, uh, those kids those, those those little intangible things like that really makes a difference too because if you don't teach them the world will definitely teach them and it's not always yeah, going to be good education that's so true, so true. yeah, yeah. But, and I think I, I say I say the home life I say the home environment I yes. think the home envir- environment should be the first teacher uh, in many respects mm-hmm. and, yeah. and should do a lot more teaching because as a parent, I have my child's attention. And there is a love relationship that dicta- dictate, dictates their learning. You know, they, they, not, they, they want they want most children want to do well for their parents. Yeah. Yep. Yep, so with that, you you have an avenue that doesn't have to be broken into by, as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and th- that that works good for everybody when the parents right. get involved. I guess right. I just don't know if the parents see the value of it because I think they're so. Uh, I mean, like you said, the world is changing. The world is changing. Some parents had to work two and three yes. jobs. I mean, but since COVID came along, it seemed like nobody wants to work at all. But right. it's just a and shifting I, dynamic. And I've ran I've ran into parents that that they weigh their their educational experience on how well they can help their children and that's just something that that doesn't have to be you know it really doesn't it's right. it's one thing to 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 be a i don't know straight a valedictorian you know parent it's another thing to say okay you you are the student right now i'm your parent i know what questions to ask and i know when i'm hearing something accurate and i know to keep asking questions mm-hmm. until i get the right answers simple right. simple as that Yep. That's very and so true. I think parents need to have that perspective to to also do what's best for their child. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have a parent? Uh, they call them pies. Do you have pies at your school? Was parent and involvement educated? What they call? Uh, yeah, we have parent parent programs going on, and our parents are are leading those and, and engaging and being a part of the school system. Yeah. Okay, that's good because I said that seemed like that could be a a catalyst right there too to get some things mm-hmm, going. Mm-hmm. So this this area is needs a lots of attention yeah. but uh, but the, the challenge becomes as a working class parent do you have time to be a part of the pie right yeah that's the question yeah so all right well we're at this part of the show where before we wrap it up we're going to play this uh little section called getting to know you we're just going to ask you three or four questions each just about what you think your whole take on it all right sure all right i'll go first if you had to choose between watching one show for a whole year, would it be Friends or Living Single? <laughs> Living Single. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Trey. Okay. I want to ask you very quickly. Um, I've got a family member who's uh, who's an ag- agricultural teacher, and he, he got a lot of his uh, influence on our grandfather, who was a thing that Mm-hmm. To get into education, I'm sorry. Biggest, he wouldn't know who your biggest who's, influence was. Yeah, who's your biggest influencer to, to get in your current field? You know, I know that you know there's someone who mentored you, and who, who is your uh, man, you're not gonna like my answer. Goodness gracious, honestly, it was me, it, it was me. <laughs> I love I I love to tinker. I I was a big tinker, and I I tell people before I started fixing things, I broke a whole lot of stuff. 
I, I had a, I had a boom box when everyone when the boom boxes are out and it was one of those big ones and I took that thing apart just to see how it worked oh, and no. it did not it did not get back together. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well they say anything worth doing is worth doing wrong until you can do it right. So, yeah, but I, I definitely had teachers along the way that that encouraged me. But my my interest, I I, I had the interest a long time ago. Nice. Okay. All right. Uh, what is the best sport and why? What's the best track sport? and field? And why is that? Track and field is the best sport. Uh, it challenges uh, the body in ways that uh, many sports do not. Uh, it is a team and an individual sport. Uh, it is one of the original sports, and uh, there is no hiding when performances uh, dictate themselves. You, there's 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 no relying on um, that person to block for you. You you, you can score points collectively, but it's it's just one of those sports that that encompasses pretty much everything that you can think of in terms of physical strength and ability. Okay. Which do you prefer, Friday evenings or Sunday mornings? Uh, I'm a morning person, man. So I'm I'm gonna say Sunday morning. There's something about Sunday morning relaxing. I feel. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. mm-hmm. All right. Uh. Do you watch basketball at all? No, I don't watch a whole lot. I, I love basketball, but I, I'm not an avid basketball fan so much anymore. Things have, have changed so much. I I don't yeah. get into it. I don't get. I, I'm a, I'm an avid football watcher. I watch a lot of football. Yeah. Uh, to me, it, yeah. it it hasn't changed like basketball has. So I I enjoy football. Okay, I, I do like collegiate basketball. I will say. Okay, this is my question then. Who is better, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning? Uh, let's see, man. <laughs> now you from Naptown, so I know. Man, I'm gonna have to say Manning. I'm sorry, I, I just had to say Man Manning. Ooh. Wow. Okay. I, I think I think from my experience and exposure, and maybe I'm biased because he was in Indianapolis, and, but everything about Peyton Manning showed a student showed a leader showed someone who was kind of a diehard for for what he was doing um and maybe because i saw that up close that's the only person i can can can, can give that to okay i can respect that because because i do remember that one time when paid many cussed out jeff saturday but that's neither here to there go ahead hey hey <laughs> I, I, I saw a scene where i saw a scene i think i saw the same scene and and the expectation was I, a matter of fact, I quote him as saying, "Stop trying to call the plays." <laughs> he did. That 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 was so. So again, again, what is what does that say? Yeah. I'm the quarterback. You the center. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That's that's it. Uh, go ahead, Trey. Get your final question before I wrap it up. Kenny, if, if being an educator not and and the right now was. Oh man! Well, you know you would be um, fixing boom boxes. That wouldn't work. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've done some. I've done some consulting, and I've enjoyed that. I continue to do that, uh, even now. Uh, I, I, I've I've uh, been. I've taught some collegiate courses, uh, and I've. Um, so between those two, I'd, I'd probably be in that in that space, and uh, even with uh, I'd probably be coaching as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I had I seen you play basketball years ago. You were pretty good at that. I'm surprised you uh, didn't went to school for track and field rather than basketball because I thought you were pretty good. So I mean, I, when we were growing up, everybody was kind of good though. You know, we, I, I make fun of the students I have now. I say you guys are so one dimensional. Yeah. I said I said I said my buddies and us growing up. You could put us in any sport and we were good. Right. I got folks that can't jump rope. <laughs> man. Well, you know, I think also social media holds you to that phone all the time, man. Oh, you know? yeah. Because yeah. back then, yeah. it's like you, you, your parents push you out and you don't come back into the dark. And, yep. <laughs> so yep. that's just a change. Okay. Well, okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there. So I'm just going to give a quote. Uh, and then I'm going to uh, thank Mr. Kenneth Franklin for joining us today and telling us about his experience as an educator and, and the inspirational stories he had. I just want to go back to a quote by Arthur Ashe where he said, start where you are, 
use what you have and do what you can. So again, on behalf of the What's Up Award Show, and thank you, Mr. Franklin, for dropping by. We'd like to say thank you for having me. All right. Peace. Thank you. Peace. Peace.